Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am once again your host, Troy Goodfellow. And I am here to talk about, here as you close in on the end of 2016, I'm here to talk about what I think is was one of the best games of 2015, because Three Moves Ahead is always topical and on time. Um, it's a game I talked about a bit uh, last year, but in great detail, um, and it's a show that I've been wanting to do for a while, but it's a matter of getting people in place for it. And the game is called uh, Rule the Waves. Um, it is a... Well, we'll explain what it is in a bit. But to help me get through this, we have a regular panelist and founding Three Moves Ahead member, Dr. Bruce Garrick. Hello, gamers. And making his first appearance on the show, and if it goes well, maybe there will be more, we have four game enthusiast, uh, YouTuber, and very interesting guy to follow on Twitter, um, Matthew Flanagan. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Matthew, since you're a guest, we'll start with you. Um, you've done a lot of YouTube videos about Rule the Waves. This is a game you probably know better than any of us do, uh, though I'm a huge fan of it. If you were to make uh, the elevator pitch for Rule the Waves, what is it? I would say it's a early 1900s Grand Admiral. Uh, simulator might be the wrong word, but it's basically a game that puts you in the shoes of being, you know, Alfred von Tirpitz or uh, Jackie Fisher. Not Jackie Stewart. <laughs> no. no. Okay. So, I mean, basically the game puts you in the role as the head admiral in any of the great powers, France, Italy, Germany, the United Kingdom, uh, Russia, and you could even play as the Confederate States in sort of a hypothetical alternate universe, and puts you in charge of building the navy of your dreams. Um, it allows you to fight battles as well when you do end up going to war, uh, and it also... Um, allows you to make certain influences on political decisions, although the actual politics is a little bit more random. It's not really based on you know history or anything like that. But it takes you from 1900 all the way to 1925, and um, you have to deal with the dramatic changes in naval technology and shipbuilding that occurred over that stretch of time. So going from pre-dreadnought ships, which are you know the really early battleships that only had four main guns, to the single-caliber dreadnought ships that uh, came about in 1905, all the way through to the you know the early fast battleships uh, as you go into into the interwar years, uh, and then it stops around 1925. So, Bruce, uh, for nerds like us, why is this an interesting or appealing game, you think? Well, I mean, I think that for nerds, the more detail you have, the more appealing something is. Um, I think one of the reasons that this is appealing is that there really is nothing else like it. I mean, unless I've completely missed it. Um, It's also a little inscrutable, opaque, which I think is something that nerds like to uh, tackle because it makes them feel good about solving a, a problem. I think some, some of the, the opacity of the game is actually a feature. Um, but, um, but I think what you can really do with the, or what the game tries to do, I'm not sure that it succeeds completely, is to sort of put you in that, um, you know, Robert Massey, Dreadnoughts, uh, you know, romantic adventure land along with a whole bunch of really, really fiddly numbers that nobody can really figure out what they mean. Um, and I mean, that's nerd heaven right there, right? I mean, this is a game where you are, in effect, you mean that grand admiralty, but you are you are a, a bureaucrat. Mm-hmm. You're you are you're designing the ships and you're fighting the battles. And we'll talk well, about the you're war you're game more than a bureaucrat because you're 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 ordering your fleets around. 
yeah, you're and, doing that and, too, and fighting battles. So right. Right. But the, but the core of the game to to you know to actually build those ships, you need to balance a budget. You have to set your research priorities. Mm-hmm. You need to somehow anti- anticipate what your enemies are doing through intelligence reports. You are running a government department, um, and that's so. It's a game that is yes, you are the admiral, and yes, you're kind of this. But you are in between. A lot of the larger decisions are out of your control. You don't decide. Who to go to war with? You don't. Set Except you your kind own, of do. But, yeah, kind of. But the wars can happen with you know you, you 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 can push wars and you can choose you can design against your enemies. But it, it, I found a, a lot of the wars I don't have a lot of control over. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's so you do and you don't, right? Yeah. You've got this sort of tension meter with all the other great powers that right. shows up on the screen, and it shows you, you know, tensions ebb and flow and go up and down. But what really allows you to have a pretty substantial amount of control over a a conflict is the fact that you get these random events that pop up. It'll be, you know, some foreign powers colony is suffering a revolt and, you know, do you need to send in uh, gunboats to restore order or do you do it with a multinational force and all these other sorts of decisions that you have that really influence how tensions flow. So you can increase tensions across the board by being someone like the Kaiser and sending, you know, colonial expeditions as these events come up. It's all random. Um, or you can actually call out specific, you know, enemy powers. So sometimes you'll have an American spy is caught in your country, and do you want to deal with it privately, or do you want to deal with it publicly? And there's there are effects to any of those decisions. So you really can influence your relations with, you know, with the countries. Although there is certainly a level of of randomness. But you can game it. You can game it pretty well, can't you? I mean, I find that I can I can pretty much decide who I want to go to war with at any given time. Without too much difficulty, I mean, yes, there's some randomness to it, but you can you can actually say, oh, you know, I'm going to sell these guys something. Actually, I'm not sure that that changes the tension, but the um, uh, the the spy is caught, or I'm in a regatta and I I finish behind the host nation, or something mm-hmm. like that. There are some <laughs> things that that just have all they do is reduce tension, right? Because there there's there's this. Oh, I think we should step back for a second. The um, the thing that you're really, I, I guess, your end game really is your own prestige, right? Yeah, so the higher your prestige, right. the you know the better you you do. At the end of the game, you get you know a, a class of ships or something named after you based on your prestige level. That's kind of the victory right. condition. So so and, and and during the and during the game, you have all these events, which if you mouse over them, it'll tell you exactly what each response will do. Right, like some will you know increase tension, increase prestige, uh, increase budget, or you know, decrease tension, but decrease prestige. So, you know, right. if you, if you, the, the more, the sort of more warmongery you are, the better your prestige gets um, in most cases. So you can, um, uh, really, wars are a uh, sort of a, a, they're not the end, they're the means to gaining more prestige, right? If you win wars, then your, your prestige goes up. So the, ultimately the goal of this game is not necessarily to win wars although winning wars is great it's to it's to increase this prestige number that that kind of goes every every month and and you accumulate stuff for it totally agree with that i mean the one thing that i would say with with regarding prestige is or, or during the wars is that 
when you're when you're trying to go to war with a specific country, you're really at the whim of these events that come up. Mm-hmm. So you can choose, I want to go to war with Great Britain, but then you've got to wait for a random event that pops up that will allow you to increase tensions mm-hmm. for the most part. There's a few other ways, like having a lot of warships in a specific area that will increase tensions. Mm-hmm. But in general, you are still at the whim of, of the randomness. But to your point, it really is a game about balancing prestige uh, against tensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to increase prestige, but at some point that's going to lead to a war. So sometimes you have to make trade-offs. Right. Unless you want to win that war, unless you're positioned to win that war, True. in which case True. just right. yeah, let the tension go through the roof and then fight and win. Fight, win, prevail, as they say in uh, Command and Conquer. So, is, that um, what they say in, is that what they said in Command and Conquer? Fight, win, prevail. Yeah, that's, there's a song. Anyway, we, sing it? Sold. We, we can address um, that at some other time. But... Uh, Yeah, so, so, so here's the thing about this game, uh, and, and I think, uh, Matthew, if you can, if you can uh, jump in and correct me on any of this stuff, because um, you've obviously had a lot more time in the game than I have, but it seems to me that the, the strength of this game is also its huge weakness, is that mm-hmm. it's very detailed— and you can do here, I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to pull up a, a little design ship dialogue. And you can design these ships. You have things like uh, you're the thickness of your armor belt, the, how much the belt covers, right? Whether it's that you have an extended belt how, and how much of that is uh, what, what the thickness of there. And then you have deck armor, an extended deck, and your conning tower, um, your turret armor. You have um, sort of your... Um, uh, you can have a low freeboard, so you sort of overload your 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 ship a little bit. Um, mines, torpedo defense. You can have whether you have cramped quarters or not. Um, you can as- assign uh, extra space for colonial service, and then there's all the gunnery, multiple turrets. You know your main guns, your secondary guns, your tertiary guns, torpedo tubes. There's a picture of the sort of a top-down schematic of your ship, and then you can even upload your own pictures if you want. I mean, if you want to play a historical game, that kind of thing. So all this stuff happens, and then you get in a battle, and you have really very little feedback as to what the different things that you have, how they contribute to your success in the battle in the first place. Because the battle, there are, you know, this is your sta- your uh, uh, strategic game with, with, uh, with tactical battle resolution, and, the, mm-hmm. and it's real time, although you can pause at any point. Um, but that battle is very automated to a certain extent, right? You don't target the guns. You just sort of move the ships around. And I'm not sure that the amount of detail that's in the game, as I'm, as I'm, as I'm positive the amount of details that's in the game, is, is adequately explained or given any kind of feedback as to what's a good idea and what's a bad idea. When It, when it seems, just seems like this, this kind of very incremental uh, increase. Like, you know, I get a one per, my armor is 1%. Uh, lighter, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, do I want to go, should I have, you know, triple 14-inch guns or, or you know, two 18-inch guns? Or it's just, it's, there's so much that's unknown to me. So, Matthew, maybe you can speak to how that, how that works. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I kind of agree uh, with, with the weakness in that there's, 
I think, in my opinion, what really appeals to me about the game is the ship design component. Mm -hmm. I'm not usually someone who's really big on on designing ships in, in other games, but to me, the prestige is the victory conditions and kind of measuring, mm -hmm. you know, trying to advance your prestige mm -hmm. and, and measuring tension levels is really kind right. of... Uh, it's the the victory point, but to me, the part of the game that I really enjoy is designing basically your ideal fleet. Mm -hmm. You know, if you went back to 1900 and you built this this great navy, what would you build? And then having that freedom of choice uh, to do that. What what the game struggles with is when you go into a a war and all of a sudden you're Jackie Fisher or you're you're Alfred von Tirpitz, and now you're jumping into HMS Lion and sailing out and fighting the Battle of Jutland. Mm -hmm. I kind of have a disconnect there myself, mm -hmm. and I agree with regards to the battles. You can manually target, but it's really clunky. It's really slow. Oh, God. Um, I can't imagine. It's, it, you can choose a ship or something like that to target, and you can choose like a squadron within your fleet that's in a battle what you want them to target or you can tell them you want this part of your navy to act as a screen or a supporting role or a core role but it's a very intricate battle system and it's actually based off the steam and iron game yeah, i really came... want to get that game now that now that i have this <laughs> well steam and iron is literally to my understanding i haven't played it but it's really just kind of a world war one sim with this battle engine uh, uh -huh. and then they take this and add the whole political element so rule the waves is the political element really leading up to the war but then when you fight the war, it just gets a little bit clunky. I mean, I, I have a hard time imagining the guy who's, if you're trying to immerse yourself in this game, the guy who's designing these ships isn't also sailing them around and, right. and fighting them. Yep. I agree. And that, and, and it's, it's weird. Although that's not what really, to be honest with you, that's not what really bothers me. I, the thing I really actually enjoy about this to some extent, and I would enjoy much more, is the battles and seeing how sort of things work out but but there's so much that goes into the battles that it seems there there's some random element and there are other things that for example so for the for the listeners the 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 ship design screens are very intricate although you can have the computer uh design a ship for you like you know say design a destroyer or design a battle cruiser or design a battleship or something like that um but the the problem is we can get into that later is that the the computer likes to design illegal ships <laughs> so if you're if you're um if you're uh, new to the game and you hit the button says you know design a ship and then you go to hit okay and it says wait this you know this has illegal torpedo tubes <laughs> and you think what it has it has what and you go through and you're trying to that happened to me once i was i was just de designing destroyers and uh uh it told me that my there are too many something was too many center lines and something else and something else and i went through every single possible configuration of torpedoes that i could and ended up having destroyers with no torpedoes uh because i just couldn't it just drive me crazy and i just want to keep playing so um so the, the thing that that i wish i could see and i think the game could do it better is, is to tell you like you know your your um your guns are firing at uh, you know the so and so range, and because you have this kind of range finding, or because you have this kind of fire direction, uh, you know this this is the benefit you're getting. I had this weird uh, thing where I had uh, a fleet of battle cruisers and battleships, and I was fighting the Germans who were who were much undergunned. But what they what happened was my battle cruisers ended up starting the battle like way way uh in front of my battleships and they were in this midst of german destroyers who proceeded to torpedo them all and then <laughs> it was you know my battleships against the rest of the german fleet and i think that had something to do with me not having enough destroyers available um for a screen and it may have had something to do with my uh 
I don't know, with my sighting or my range finding or something like that, but I, I have no idea why that happened or if it was a bug, which which kind of bothers me. And if, if, it, if it was something in, that I didn't do right where, you know, I should have researched something else, that would be great uh, if it would tell me, hey, you neglected researching something, uh, you know, higher conning towers or, you know, something like that. And uh, and I think, oh, that's great. So so my my battle cruisers blundered into these into these destroyers because they couldn't see them or the weather was bad or something like that. Uh, it was raining, I think. But um, but I have no idea what happened. I just don't. Yeah, and the game doesn't do a great job of communicating to you why certain things happen. So you can actually click on a ship and you can see, you know, the number of rounds fired, mm -hmm. the number of hits it sustained, the number right. of hits it's mm -hmm. achieved. Um, so you can kind of gather, oh, okay, I, I don't have a great hit percentage, but it doesn't really tell you why. It might be because you have out-of-date fire control. It might be because the weather's bad. I mean, you kind of have to piece things together to figure out what's going on, and, and it is pretty opaque. It doesn't give you a great sense of why things are happening. One of the other things is, you know, within the battles, unless you want to fight each individual battle out as like a four-hour engagement, if it's a larger fleet engagement, mm -hmm. things happen either so quickly or it's such a large battle, it doesn't do a great job of, of allowing you to control a fleet mm -hmm. unless you're really micromanaging. So you've got to have the, the most micro... There's like three different settings. There's a captain setting, a rear admiral setting, and I think it's vice admiral, Yeah, um, which give you different levels of control in, in battles. And if you're just doing the rear admiral, which is what I prefer to play as, when basically you're in control of your flagship's squadron. But then you have no way of issuing your destroyers to launch a torpedo attack. Mm -hmm. If they're within visual range, you can tell them to go sail close to the enemy, but it's completely, it gives you no idea why or why not they're not launching torpedoes or, or how they're you know, choosing to, to fight the engagement, which... I would think an admiral would be able to tell his, you know, tell his destroyer squadron, "Hey, I want you to, you know, lay down a, a torpedo spread or something like that." Right. Yeah, I think that, um, that also in in rear admiral mode, you get ten percent fewer VPs in battle. I think. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So it's so it's it's kind of it's kind of punishing you for its own bad AI ness or or your refusal to uh, to. Um, well, uh, and, and the AI is really bad at fighting. Yes, if you don't micromanage, yes. oh, it's terrible. <laughs> if you don't micromanage your ships and tell them exactly where to go, they will just sail around in circles, and maybe they'll engage the enemy, and maybe they won't. So let's talk about what the game does. We can talk a lot about what the game doesn't do well. Yeah, um, it, it is a, it is a spreadsheet with a really bad interface and not clear instructions. Oh yeah, and let's not yeah let's not dance around that. Right. But we can tell you. Let's talk about what why this game appeals. I mean, Matthew, yes. you've done you've done a ton of videos uh, for Roll the Waves, <laughs> and this is if you did not find it appealing um, in some way, you would not be going back to it and saying, "Hey, audience, please come and watch this very very." Lotus one two three game. <laughs> True. Um, well, what the game does really well, at least in my opinion, I think you know it's one of those games that can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But what really appeals to me about this game is really, honestly, the ship design and the era. So I was always really interested in the early 1900s in terms of history within Europe, the arms race that happened there, the rapid technological developments that happened there, and, and sort of the back and forth nature of crisis politics that occurred during this era. And it 
that this game captures in spades, whether they're random events that come up and you have to figure out, you know, do I really want to stand a hard line and risk a war? Or is it maybe best to back down until I'm more prepared for war? That aspect is really captured well. And we've already talked about it a little bit with the events. But what the game also does really well is the the progression of technology. So you start in 1900 and you start with this you know, you can either have the computer generate a base fleet for you or you can build your own. But basically, you're building a pre-dreadnought navy, uh, kind of at the the peak or very close to the peak of the pre-dreadnought navy. So you start building ships and you give, you know, to, to your earlier point, you're a bureaucrat. You have to uh, decide, you know, what's the right fleet you want to build, how many ships you want under construction, how much can you afford. But then all of a sudden, at some point, someone's going to start building the dreadnought. Uh, often it's the UK, but not always. And now your entire navy is out of date. And it doesn't just happen in 1905. It happens over and over again. Again, this is a game that really pays to invest heavily in research. So there's actually a menu in there. You can go in and you can choose research priorities. So if you want to be a, you know, a submarine Navy, you can really focus on that. If you want to be a big gun Navy, you can really focus on all these different types of, of technologies, naval guns, machinery and development, armor. And I think what's really interesting about this is trying to figure out, okay, how do I build a fleet that is going to be able to uh, you know, win me a war if I get stuck in one, but also, you know, how do I make sure that when these new technologies come out, my whole Navy doesn't have to be rebuilt because you're balancing a budget. You've got to figure out how you can upgrade or keep these ships relevant as technology is continually changing. And that's really the addicting piece to me. And there's also, you know, the random monkey wrench of, 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 of naval treaties. Occasionally yep. the nation, the great powers will get together and decide, okay, this type of technology is verboten. It's banned. You have to keep under certain limits. One of my friends told me a story about how he could not keep up in the naval race. He was falling behind. Then a treaty was passed banning a certain caliber of gun. All of a sudden, he has the best navy because all of the other <laughs> ships have just been banned. So you can just go on this okay. spree. Um, and so there's, so there, you have to work up, but that, that happens very, very rarely. Uh, he, he thought it was cute. This never happened to me. When I fall behind, I get screwed. But you are bumping into a ton of, it's, I like how you keep bumping into all of these limitations. I mean, you may, you may, you're, you're building a Navy to fight a certain kind of enemy. And then all of a sudden you're facing a Navy that is not, you're not necessarily geared towards um you don't have you haven't invested in torpedo defense and all of a sudden you're facing a bunch of japanese destroyers and torpedo boats um there's budget crunches it has it is a game that's very conscious of the limitations not just the limitations in you know the interface and instruction but in saying here are the tools you have how do you get there how do you co how do you manage the fact that you technology is moving without you you need to build better docks you know bruce was talking about you know how the computer will build illegal ships they'll often build ships that are too big for your docks that's generally their biggest problem um so you have to usually only buy like a couple of hundred tons but that's you know that's enough uh to say illegal 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 please don't build this so you have to invest in dock construction and research and intelligence and there, I, it's this, this is kind of why I love it because, and I call it a bureaucrat game, even though it really is an admiralty game, because it, you are always conscious of a, so many different pressures upon you and every decision tumbles into another decision. It tumbles into, like, if you, you can't afford, if you're, do you research the wrong thing? Um, you've spent, you've invested in armor. 
and not in anti-torpedo stuff, and but now torpedoes and submarines are what you're facing around the world. How do you cope with that? Um, do you do a dramatic shift? Do you stop building battle cruisers and invest heavy in destroyers or submarines? I, I, I just love how it is a game of constant adaptation, even though it is you know 1900 to 1925, and it's turns by month. Um, but you, there, there is an endpoint, and you're always dealing with limitations within, within that endpoint. And I really do love how that plays out. Yeah, and even within where you put your fleet, there's yeah. a lot of limitations around that. So I played a couple games as Japan, and you'd think Japan facing off against the rest of Europe would be somewhat difficult, but you run into the same problems, or your opponents run into the same problems that the Russians ran into during the Russo-Japanese War. It's that there aren't sufficient facilities to transfer a navy all the way from Europe, where all these massive navies are being built, to the Pacific, and then be able to fight on the other end of it. So, um, you know, as a colonial empire, if you're trying mm-hmm. to set up your navy in a way where you can adequately protect all of your, you know, all of your colonies, there are requirements around what you put there. But then if you get into a war, you have to factor in what do other countries have in that area, and can I actually get an overwhelming force to this part of the globe if I'm going to fight this, this enemy? Yeah, and there's, and there's, uh, there's a map showing all of these different possessions and and you know the 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 uh you can you can increase your base size in various places i mean it's it really is sort of a world navy simulator you know that it does a good job of of saying okay you know you have these colonial possessions you need to have these many ships out there or then you know the the other powers are going to think about taking them away from you um it's it's such a great idea that's just so undermined to me by you know the interface, the, the map interface makes me crazy um, because you just can't tell where anything is. You have to mouse over and then you have to look at the ships and it's, uh, you know, you, you sometimes it'll tell you that um, you're, uh, you don't have enough ships on foreign stations. So then you have to go individually and pick and look, oh, I'm, you know, 5,000 tons short on that one. Uh, it's just, it's so painful. But, um, but the thing, you know, I could forgive so much of this stuff if I got more of a of sa- more satisfaction out of what was actually happening with with my tech, right? Like, you know, you say, oh, you know, you, all of a sudden you're you don't have enough torpedo defense because um, because of uh, you know the Japanese have jumped out in front of you. Uh, how much torpedo defense do I need? I don't even know, right? I mean, it, you just oh, guys, one, two. I mean, it, there's there's so little um, there's so little direction as to what's useful for you and what isn't that that i find that really frustrating and, and i it's it's so simple to i think in games to give people some incremental uh, advantage but then show them how that incremental advantage is working and here it just doesn't do that it does do it to one extent so you're absolutely right about about torpedoes and, and not telling you what you need but if you are trying to build a fleet you can it's painful but you can try and figure out what your armor layout should be by going mm-hmm. to, to the gun data tab in the ship design. Okay. So when you actually go and you design a ship and you change your main caliber guns, there's a little tab there that says gun data, and it will actually give you the penetra- the penetration characteristics mm-hmm. of the type of gun you have at various ranges. So if, if you want to kind of mouse up and mouse down to different calibers and kind of you know, take your time in designing your ship, you really can see, you know, for example, right now I'm looking at penetration characteristics for an 11-inch gun. Okay. Uh, and at 8,000 yards, it penetrates six and a half inches of armor. Um, 
you know, right right on, and it penetrates 0. 0.6 uh, inches of deck armor okay. at that range. And then it gives me a 5,000-yard marker. and it, So it does give you a little bit of information, but I, I absolutely agree with you. For the most part, it's very difficult to understand what should I be designing or, or what shouldn't I. And what are the center like center line turrets versus you know you have you have turrets you have casemates how what's what's the advantage of having I mean there's a whole bunch of range of fire stuff with with turrets right and how many how many mm-hmm. guns you have per turret and everything I mean it's all in there in a way that that I just find I can't I can't get at but um, it's kind of it it assumes a lot of uh, knowledge yeah. of of you coming in so I kind of had the advantage of being an absolute. Uh, dork when I was like 12, 13, I'd play around with this similar spreadsheet type ship designer called Spring Sharp, just for the heck hmm, of it. Okay. Um, and it allowed you to build your own ships within, you know, various constraints. And it's it's almost like the ship design window is pulled straight from that. Wow. But it assumes a lot of, of, of knowledge of you coming in. So casemates, for example, uh, a casemate is, is fine, except when you get into a scenario of rough seas. And then typically it, it's like basically like a portal along the side of the mm-hmm, ship right. where, you know, the gun sticks out of. Well, they can't use those if, if the seas are bad, um, mm-hmm. which makes a turret a little bit better. Um, though a turret, you know, can weigh more if it has multiple guns in it, right. or it can, um, you know, be disabled perhaps more easily. Plus, the uh, casemates, a, I think, casemate. have, have casemates can also serve as extra armor, sort of. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because they've got the armor around the gun right. that, that adds kind of the, the right. side of the armor of the yeah. ship. Um, so yeah, it doesn't it doesn't do a great job of of telling you what you should design. Um, you know, wing turrets. Are, it's almost like an evolutionary thing. So there are things like wing turrets, which are you know main gun battery turrets that are on the side of the ship rather than the center line, which is right along the middle of the ship. Mm-hmm. So if you think of a traditional battleship, you know like the Iowa class with the the two main guns up front, mm-hmm. one higher than the other, those are on the center line. A wing turret would be like if you look at the HMS Dreadnought, which has turrets fore and aft, but then it also has some along the midships or along the side of the ship, mm-hmm. um, which can only fire in one direction, um, but they you know, they do have some advantages in terms of weight. Mm-hmm. They don't quite put as much strain on the ship being on the side. Okay, got it. But the game doesn't tell you any of this. It just makes you, you have to kind of know it going in. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, I, I'm sure that the, that for the for the real uh, aficionados, um, the uh, things probably work in some kind of logical manner. Um, but even so, I, I think that you know, if I were making a game, I would really want players because part of a, the point of a game is that you know, sort of that tangible. Uh, you know, when you level up, you level up, right? You want to see yourself level up. You don't just think, oh, well, I, I must have I must have turned to level 15 because now I'm, you know, slightly better. Um, and it just tells you, you know, you have, uh, you know, your, your range finders or something, something and blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's, I think, I think the, the, if, if I were to, if I were to flesh out any of this, I would want a better combat results dialogue where you could see what everything did and, and why things were functioning the way they were but i i mean i do like the way that um that it generates these battles um and although there's some things that are really really bizarre so you know there's these <clears throat> when you get in a war with somebody you have to accumulate victory points right and you'll you know you'll see that there are uh you know you get you got one victory point for like sinking a <clears throat> the um, you have submarines that are, the submarines in this game we should tell the listeners are sort of modeled in that you don't fight with them you build them but you don't fight with them you just, they just are sort of around and and they interact with the enemy shipping it to some extent um, but you know you find you know, you have to have ships on when you're in a war you have to have ships on anti-submarine 
uh, coastal patrol, uh, or your merchants become um, more vulnerable and, and merchants and that kind of stuff contributes to blockade, which contributes to unrest in your country, which can contribute to losing the war, that kind of thing. And I said it's modeled after World War One, but um, but one of the things is that uh, when you um, when you sink somebody's uh, what do you call them merchants. You might get one point, two points, five points, but then you fight a battle and you get like 1,500 points. So I think there's some tuning problems because I don't really care if I lose uh, if I lose 100 points, you know, 10 turns of having all these guys sunk. If I'm going to, you know, if I can sink two light cruisers of his, get a major victory and then win the war. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree the wars need a little bit more scaling in terms of results actually playing into the battle. I don't think... Um, I mentioned I was playing as the Confederates. I just beat the French in a war, and mm-hmm. I sank like six French light cruisers, and that brought the French to the table to sue for peace. I don't. It right. doesn't seem right to me. No. Um, no. But uh, the other thing that I find a little bit frustrating with the wars is you're you're in control of the battles, but you have no control over where the actual engagements occur. It's completely random, right. which is it, mm-hmm. you you should have some sort of. Uh, if you're a, a head admiral, you should have some sort of ability to dictate a strategy. Maybe you're not saying, you know, Grand Fleet, go here and do this, but you should be able to dictate some level of strategy, and you can do that with submarines. Mm-hmm. You can give submarines the ability to do unrestricted U-boat warfare. You can tell them to, you know, do prize rules or only operate with the fleet, which would obviously right. just attack capital ships. But within the confines of your surface fleet during the war, you have no control. It's completely random other than the fact that you send ships to different parts of the globe. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. That just It seems like there are certain things that were left out of this game that mm-hmm. maybe for simplicity's sake. And then a lot of the things that are chosen to be included in the game are just so detailed it doesn't really seem to make sense to me. They've announced a sequel for this, right? They have. And uh, the sequel, and this is, it's a kind of a quiet announcement. It was the developer who just posted in their forum saying that, you know, the last update for Rule the Waves will, uh, you know, is, is out and all of his efforts are going toward Rule the Waves 2, which is, is interesting because he said that I, it will go up to 1945, I think it was, and it mm-hmm. will include air combat. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure how this game will, will model air combat. I'm a little bit leery about that, but... Um, It'll be interesting to see. I'm definitely excited, and I, I hope they they include some of the, the stuff we're talking around, at least giving you some control over tactics or strategy within the war. Or that, just, that, I think, would go a long way. Or just more information in general, like yeah. an after-battle report. Yes. Well, that's disappointing to me, because it seems like, you know, this idea, it's almost like, you know, a design... The, the This whole cliche about, you know, well, maybe we should just add more stuff to something rather than having a coherent you know, design. I mean, that, that, I think this game is poorly designed. I think it's, I think that would be how I would describe it. Um, you know, none of the scaling is right. The, the feedback is wrong. The UI is terrible, but it has a very, um, it has a very compelling subject, uh, and it treats it in a way that, like, as Troy said at the beginning of the podcast is, you know, is so nerd friendly, right? Um, people are interested in this stuff and, uh, and being able to interact with it to this level is I mean, it's really interesting, uh, but I got to say, you know, I I have no interest in in a, in a rule the waves too. If that's where it's going, I would uh, I have no interest in trying to add uh, air and all that kind of stuff to a game that uh, I, I don't really think is adequately doing what it's set out to do here. Or I don't know what it's set out to do. It's not doing for me what I would want a game to do, and I don't certainly want it 
add on a whole bunch of ambiguity about uh, about a whole other set of um, set of you know weapons. Um, but I really, but playing this game really makes me want to play Steam and Iron because I think that that tactical part of it, uh, I think if you just focused on that, could be something you could you could uh, it, it would take some of the some of the frustration out of the game. Although of course it would take a lot of the gameplay out of the game too. Well, it's almost like two different games mashed together, right? You've got the Steam right. and Iron mm-hmm. tactical battle piece, and then you've got the diplomacy, shipbuilding, navy building game. Right. And and to your point, I don't know if the two mesh all that well. Although the mm-hmm. the diplomacy and uh, ship designing and and the era, the theme, that all really resonates with me, and I absolutely love it. But to your mm-hmm. point, I think the way that it's put together is a little bit a little bit clunky, to say the least. It's it's a scenario generator is what it is yeah. for for steam and iron with with a simplified because I, I I read the manual it says that the the um, the tactical resolution is not as detailed as steam and iron I think or at least that's what the manual said yeah I'm not sure for I steam and iron players well, I should probably so. check out some videos of steam and irons I guess there are a ton yeah. of those so as far as the way that it represents how do you feel the the, the game represents sort of international tensions and and sort of uh, um, international politics. I mean, do you think the, do you find these things believable? Because you know, as we know, the number of naval engagements uh, that were um, they were all part of of two or three very specific wars, um, and you know, a, a, some some colonial you know gunboat bombardment. But here, you know, you'll go to France. Go, sorry, go to France. Yeah, you'll go to France uh, if you're playing the French. You go, you'll. Go to war with France two or three times in a you know ten year period. What, what do you think about that? What I find interesting is the fact that there's a, any war going on in on land anywhere makes is nowhere to be seen. There's no. It sense, does. There's no, but there's there's invasions, right? I mean, I remember losing Newfoundland to the United there, there's States. There's invasions, but there's no real <laughs> sense that you know that. I mean, the, as far as this game is concerned, the naval arm and naval battles are decisive in bringing somebody to the table. Um, yeah, let me let me talk about that a little bit because it does involve yeah, ahead, land please. combat, but it's it's so abstract that you don't really there's no say in what happens. So, for example, I mentioned I had just uh, taken the Antilles from the French uh, in my in my wars the Confederates, and there was a land naval invasion of of the islands in the Caribbean. But the mm-hmm. way that the game decided to do it was one, there was some randomness involved, but two, I had to have an overwhelming preponderance of forces in the Caribbean compared to the French. So I had something like 10 battleships and they didn't have any. So that allows me to launch an, a land invasion, but it's random and the Navy's not involved in it at all. It seemed like there was an increase in small cruiser actions around the islands, but it doesn't really tell me that that's in any way related to supporting the land offensive, which is a little bit. You know, it doesn't seem right. And then, and then the other bit is that the land invasion from when it started to when it completed, you do get periodic updates. So it'll say, you know, they're pushing them back. They've taken all the islands. There's just a few resist, you know, a few people resisting left on the island. But it's all outside the scope of what you probably should have some idea of what's going on as being the, the Grand Admiral. You would think you might at least pick up a phone and, and talk to the army and see what they're doing. <laughs> um, right. You know, judging by, by I, I don't know. It just, it seems a little bit abstracted and then that's about all you get sometimes they ask hey do you want to give some resources up to the army so they can launch an offensive and and then you'll get mm-hmm. a random you know result i don't know if it's a die roll or what where it'll say hey you get 500 victory victory points because the army's offensive was a right. dramatic success mm-hmm. but that kind of comes back to the scaling because a, right, a big victory for the army is like 500 victory points which is equal to me beating a single enemy cruiser in a cruiser engagement yeah that, that's mm-hmm. really what i meant I mean, the naval battles 
are the most important thing. Uh, whatever happens mm-hmm. on land is, and yeah, it's it, it's there, but it really doesn't have any impact on planning or strategy beyond, do you want to do this? Do you not want to do this? The naval game is hunt down ships, kill ships, which is fine. I love that. But it does play into this really weird picture of early 20th century warfare, early 20th century politics. It's almost the the world that the Fishers and Churchills dreamed the Admiralty would be <laughs> than, you know, what actually happened. Except that there's not even a, again, this goes back to my frustration of no control over the actual where engagements occur and how large they are. Like, I should be able to tell if I mm-hmm. want my Grand Fleet to go out and engage the enemy, that should be a directive mm-hmm. I should be able to give. Instead, you get a flurry of cruiser engagements, which I think is probably overdone and not terribly, you know, in in keeping with the way that these wars were fought. You know, there were some mm-hmm. early in the war, but there definitely weren't, you know, cruiser engagements every single month. Uh, and then maybe right. one fleet battle, which the ratio seems about right, but I should have some sort of control. You know, if the war's not going well, shouldn't I be able to tell my my fleet to go out and initiate a, you know, a major fleet engagement to try and turn things around or, you know, 1918 right. it and send my fleet off to a, a death ride? Right. Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, there's there once again the manual does mention that uh, there's you know wh- why it, it kind of anticipates it. It says something like uh, I can't remember quite, but it says uh, there's a question and answer section, and one of the questions is why do I get these ridiculous orders of battle uh, when I'm uh, fighting um, fighting battles? And uh, the uh, the answer is well, you know. Um, Sometimes war, you know, things don't work out the way you expect, and uh, surprises <laughs> happen all the time, uh, which just doesn't. It's like uh, I, I'm sorry, but that's crazy, um, because because like you said, you really don't have uh, the ability to even. I mean, there's a, there's a big battle, and you'll show up with like two destroyers, and they'll show up with you know three cruisers, or um, you'll have your entire fleet, and he'll have like a light cruiser. It just it doesn't it it seems like somebody's just kind of uh, uh, sending sending ships out like they're like in some kind of like a bus station or something. It, it handles fog of war really well in that it tells you you know here's what the estimated enemy forces may be and I think right. that's kind of mm-hmm. in keeping with this whole mystery of what's beyond the horizon. But what should never be part of the fog of war is what your actual forces and that's the bit that kind of throws me is you know okay I might have eight battleships and then we go into the battle and I have a light cruiser and two destroyers. I don't you think right. I should know that as the admiral yeah. what I have at, at yeah. my disposal? Yeah. Yeah. It's it, maybe somebody's it, late. It, it's they're trying to get so they're trying to get <laughs> some coal in Sierra Leone and they get they run out. So Yeah. That would be nice, but I've never seen that happen either, so. But it gives I mean there there are um there there are interesting things about uh about just the way that the uh, the game keeps track of so many so many sort of little things, little minutiae that in the end, uh, you know, they, you have um, you can train your you can train your crews in in gunnery or night actions or torpedo. The night actions thing, I can't. They're all it's all so expensive. Um, I don't think night actions really makes any sense at all. Um, and gunnery seems to be to me to be very worthwhile because increases your your gunnery kind of ten ten percent across the board. Which, in the absence of having any other information about how your things are doing, that seems to be a, a reasonable um, a reasonable uh, 
investment. But, you know, you have crew quality and your crew quality will go down if you have too many ships on a foreign station because you don't have the uh, you don't have the facilities to maintain the ships, uh, which I guess is is reflected in how the crew quality deteriorates and they can't train Um, the there's so many different places uh, you can go. Although, interestingly enough, you have these sea zones and then there's Burma, which is in between the Indian Ocean and Southeast Asia. Is is it in either one of those things? Um, if, if you if you look at the map, it, it's I mean it's literally in between two zones, and the game only seems to exist in in this in terms of zones. So I'm not sure how that works, but um, yeah, Southern France is kind of in that same same bucket. If you mm-hmm. look at it on the map, it looks like it's in Northern Europe, but it's actually in the Mediterranean. So oh yeah, yeah. So that's there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that this game could fix and uh, I I'm I'm disappointed that the that the thing that they're going to focus on is um, making it go longer and have more stuff. I think it would have been more interesting but, if they had pushed it out to an earlier start date. If they had gone ah, to like 1880, because the right. interesting thing is mm-hmm. between 1880 or and 1905. You've got the pre-Dreadnought to Dreadnought in 1905, but then you've also got these really weird designs of, like, ironclad rams moving into the Mm -hmm. pre-Dreadnoughts, which was almost as revolutionary as the Dreadnought. So you could really kind of capitalize on the appeal of rapidly changing technology and, you know, navies becoming obsolescent. Um, Yeah, that would fit right into your thing with the... um, confederate states right <laughs> yeah true. If, if you get which um i, I think did, did we mention that at the beginning i think i think we yeah we weren't did. recording it was pre-show but uh, matthew you were saying that you were you were actually playing as the confederate states of america which you can do it's an option yeah you can play as the confederates or as the spanish so it kind of gives you i think there's what seven seven great powers you can choose from but then you also have mm-hmm. the option of choosing spain or a hypothetical confederate states um, and I believe there's quite a big modding community around this as well that have added other countries or playable factions mm-hmm. and things like that. So mm-hmm. that's, I haven't ever tried any of that out, but interesting. Um, one thing I do think is interesting is, you know, this is, it's interesting that a lot of times ship design is almost too much. You know, we, I, I hear, I've listened to you guys for what, like three or four years now. And it's always mm-hmm. that, you know, ship design kind of makes a, a game a little bit too much in this. It's almost the crux of the game. And I think it works yes. that way as opposed to being a bolt on. Um, Mm -hmm. so, oh, absolutely. No, this game is this game for for the listeners who who are still, you know, sort of trying to get a little bit of a sense of, of what this game really is about. This game is about getting a bunch of money and then doling that money out to a series of designs that will maintain your naval supremacy over a long period of time in the face of changing technology and changing budgets and, uh, you know, various varying tensions with different uh, with different powers, uh, and, and that's what really is. Here's here's a chunk of money. This is how much you it costs every month to maintain your fleet and to build new ships. Um, and uh, I mean, th- th- tell you, if you go over budget, boy, the the people do not like bureaucrats that go over budget. They don't mind bureaucrats that lose wars decisively <laughs> to the enemy. <laughs> But boy, do they hate yeah. going over budget. I You'll mean, get fired I lost, real fast. I lost, a, I lost a terrible war to France um, because I was, I kept getting, you know, I had, it was funny, I had all these ships that were, um, that were seemed to be available, and then they would get doled out in like one and two ship uh, packets against, you know, whatever the, the, the French were mustering. Um, but, uh, but I lost, you know, it was... We basically lost two. Um, I, I lost a war. I lost two points of prestige, and then the next 
four months, I uh, I was over budget, and I lost four prestige for that. So um, it's, it was twice as bad to be four months over budget than as to, to lose a war to my archenemy. So. And that's one of the things I think, I know we're kind of running up against time, but we probably should mention is yeah. there's this unrest level. Mm -hmm. which yes. influences whether you kind of get kicked out of power. So if you, mm -hmm. you know, lose wars, you can have your unrest level go up. If you actually have cramped ships where your your crews get kind of ticked off, that yes. they're uh -huh. crammed in like sardines, your unrest level mm -hmm. can go up. Uh, winning battles and wars can cause the unrest level to go down, um, right. as well as just the passage of time. But one other thing that actually causes the unrest level to go up is, to your point, the idea is to get as much money as you can and build the best fleet you can, but there is a little mm -hmm. bit of a, a trade-off there. If you get random decisions to say, hey, do you want to increase your budget or not? And if mm -hmm. you always click yes, you always want more and more and more, mm -hmm. eventually mm -hmm. people start getting pissed off that, hey, um, you know, how much of our GDP is going to the military? And you'll actually see your unrest levels start increasing as well. So there's mm -hmm. there's sort of an upward right. limit on how much money you can get. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I assume that the... The cramped conditions is a nod to the, uh, you know, sort of Russian Navy. And there, I even got, there was one question that was asked uh, whether uh, I wanted to suppress uh, socialist propaganda in my Navy. And, of course, I immediately did. But, I mean, that's kind of thing, you know, you have all your ships are cramped and and, uh, and the, the sailors are pissed off and they come back to, back to, uh, um, to port and cause problems. There's a nod to um, Lenin in there too, where as, as you're fighting a war, you can choose to send a, a dissident revolutionary to your foreign, you know, your enemy's country to try and spark a revolution. But sometimes oh, really? that can bounce back on you and awesome. cause your un unrest level to skyrocket. That's Excellent. Hilarious. Yeah, it's it. it. It's it really is. I mean, it really is a, a series of good ideas that are so unevenly implemented that I think it really, it's a really, it's it's an excellent example of something that wasn't really designed in the sense that it was um, put together, cer certain small designs were put together and they just don't fit together at all, in, in my in my estimation. Although, I mean, I, I got a, I, there wasn't, it certainly wasn't a case where I just picked up the game and thought, oh, this is terrible. And I've played it, played it multiple times mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, trying to get through everything. But uh, but I just went, went, Matthew, when you told me that there was going to be a, a Rule the Waves 2, the thing that I realized that re I didn't like the game was that uh, I just have no interest in playing it. I would I would re much rather play a, something that's more coherent than something that has so much disparate stuff going on that's not well integrated. The thing that worries me about Rule the Waves 2 is the game needs to decide what is it. It needs to decide, is it a, you know, diplomatic bureaucrat sim where you build a navy and then, you know, see how it fights out? Or is it about being a war game? Because I don't think the style of game that is here really fits for World War II. Um, mm. It's a very different era. It's a very different set of challenges. And mm -hmm. I, I just worry that you wouldn't be able to model the early Dreadnought race and then plug that over into, into World War II. I think things are too different. Yeah, the geopolitical, the geopolitics would, are 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 so are so different that uh, I, I yeah you 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 really what you're doing is you're 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 sort of trying to go from one completely different social era to another, um, and and the all of the social changes that came uh, came about as a result of World War One and the, the sort of the fall of the monarchies and 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 different um, sort of. Um, reorganizing the the sort of um overall social structure of europe um I, the game just doesn't have anything i think to provide for that i mean you're going to have to change the whole diplomatic model and uh i i i can't even believe how how difficult that would be yeah, i'm 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 
fond of the game, I think because of its courage to be incoherent, uh, because it is like mm-hmm. a real, I mean, I, I think that it is, a lot of the parts don't fit together very well. Uh, but So for 2015, I think this is the game that I think it surprised me the most and that it's maybe it's wow it's a basketball playing dog you know it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing this thing you know, works at all it's outstanding um i i really do it's a kind of game i'd like to see more of i'd like to see more games at this level of control where some things are to control and some things aren't um where your there are different measures of your success uh it's i mean I know more than once on this show we've talked about why aren't they good games about, about logistics. This isn't a game. Of this uh-huh. isn't a game about logistics. But you know why aren't there more games about budgets, um, about uh, setting priorities for your army, about being the being the commander in chief of a military force and trying to anticipate uh, where the world is going. I think that's kind of what I really like about it. Why it stuck out for me in 2015 because it's a design that has. I mean, the execution is not great in so many places, which we've lined out. But I really do kind of like the the daring of trying to make a game like this, and to, and to oh, yeah. have been actually quite reasonably successful, at least commercially. I'm as far. I mean, I I can't remember the last time I played an NWS game, uh, Naval yeah. Warfare Simulation. Uh, it had been mm-hmm. like probably ten years. Until this came along, when a lot of people started mentioning to me, like more than one person said, "Hey, have you seen this?" I was like, "Where did this even come from?" Um, I think it's kind of that's kind of kind of cool. Yeah, the developer gave an interview. I don't know if it was for an online publication or if it was another podcast. I honestly can't remember where, but he indicated that this was much more successful than than he had thought it would be. Mm-hmm. So I've never played an NWS game before, and I'll tell you what it kind of reminds me of. And I know, you know, this is a completely different genre, but it reminds me of almost like an early out-of-the-park baseball. Mm. Where you've got all these numbers, right. all these figures. You've got to put together a budget. You've got to put the best team on the field. But it's kind of hard to figure out why things are going well or why they're not going well. And, and mm-hmm. the u- user interface isn't quite as polished as it could be. So That actually is a very good analogy. I think that, that, that works for me, I think. Yeah. Very good, yeah. I mean, there's so, there's so much that could be polished and tuned and sort of changed to some extent in this game and i i mean that's what's keeping me playing it um but uh but yeah i think it i think it has serious problems and and as as the sort of the leading edge of indie uh sort of gets further and further um this stuff like this i think shows its uh shows its deficiencies unfortunately but uh, matt i want to ask so where do you where can the listeners uh, see your your videos because some some uh, one of my followers tweeted out saying hey can can you make some make a video about how to play this game and uh, i think my answer should be no uh, watch matt's videos so where, <laughs> uh, where where do we do that uh, i'm the historical gamer on youtube so youtube.com slash the historical gamer okay and, Perfect. I will. I will tweet that. And out you people. also tweet under historical gamer, one word, right? Yes, at historical gamer on Twitter. Yes, and I do recommend you follow Matt. He uh, usually ad- advertises when he's doing a stream, and he's uh, always interesting stuff to say. And he's one of my favorite follows, so I do recommend you check him out. Um, any final words? Um. Check Rule the Waves out if, if the early 1900s interest you. And, uh, you know, it, it definitely has some deficiencies, as we pointed out, but it's still a surprisingly engrossing game. 
Um, and just thanks for having me on, guys. I've, I've listened to the show for three or four years, and I, I really enjoy it, and it's a treat to be a part of it. Well, thanks for coming on, and thanks for sharing your expertise about it with us. And we hope you can come back. Uh, yep. For Bruce, Matt, and our producer, Michael Hermes, who will be assembling our ravings into listenable form, uh, I have Fred Goodfell. This has been Three Moves Ahead. A reminder, you can find us at threemovesahead.net. Feel free to send us any questions or posts on the forum, on the Idle Thumb forums. If you like what you've just heard or want to encourage us to do better, we have a Patreon, uh, which is you can find at patreon.com slash 3MA, where you can donate funds that go to support us and the creation of podcasts and to keep Michael going and ramen. Uh, have a good night, everyone, and happy listening. <laughs>